You're sure you're ready? I'm as ready as we are going to be. Yeah, that's a proper answer. This is the Kaiju Transmissions podcast where we talk about giant monsters and Japanese fantasy films, and uh, it's late. Yeah, we, we we both like delayed multiple times, and my computer was giving me issues. It's been a weird weird night. Yeah, but you're you're up to the challenge, right? I mean, we both have to. <laughs> it's roughly eleven thirty p.m., and we both have to work at nine in the morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're you, so you're, you're up. To, you're you're for real. You're serious. Yeah, my uh, I'm sacrificing my work performance on a Friday so that our fellow podcast listeners can uh, hopefully have a maybe maybe a B performance tonight. <laughs> we're yeah. gonna, we're going to give it a B effort. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know what? I'm ready. I even opened up I even opened up a a, a little can of Red Bull <clears throat> cuz I got to be energized for this. I'm drinking a Coca-Cola, which is my uh, my custom. So right, well. So, so man, what, movies, what? what movies are we talking about? What? What? Oh my god, this is, really this, is a tra- this is a train wreck in the making, but we're going <laughs> to we're going to go forward. This is going to be the best podcast ever and everyone's <laughs> going to love it. So the theme of today, Matt, let me ask you a question. Do you like Toho science fiction films? Uh, I love them. Okay. <laughs> do you them. like submarines? I do now. Uh, I like yellow submarines, but that's because the Beatles are awesome. Oh, yeah, of course. Do you like submarine sandwiches? They're the best, actually. But not Subway, because they're terrible. I like Subway, but you know what? Quiznos was underrated. Quiznos is, like, worse than Subway. It's, like, a notch below. (laughs) No, Tubby's (laughs) is, like... (laughs) Tubby's is where you go when there's no Quiznos or Subway anywhere to be found. Is that like White Castle, basically? It's, <laughs> it's like, like the White, White Castle Cast- of sub places. What would you think if you combined two of those th- uh, three things? Uh, Tubbies and Subway, or <laughs> no? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Submarines like- and Toho Science Fiction. Yeah, that could be uh, that could be pretty awesome. And you could watch them while eating a sub. Now, see, that is, but I'm going to fall asleep from like a food coma. That's, you, you got to be careful with that. But yes, I'm excited to actually talk about these movies today. You ever been in a submarine? No. Me neither. No. So, we are talking about Atragon, Latitude Zero, two uh, Showa era uh, classics. And then we're fast forwarding all the way to uh, 2005's Lorelei, Witch of the Pacific, directed by one Shinji Higuchi. So, 1963, we have Atragon, or known in Japan as Undersea Warship. Um, and this is actually based on uh, a series of uh, stories. Um, I think there were six novels or something. Uh, by a fella named Shunro Oshikawa. Uh, again, 1900, long-ass time ago. And uh, these were written around the time of the Russian-Japan War. And uh, basically, they were, were nationalistic, um, uh, I guess, young adult stories 
um, that would just follow uh, this captain who isolates himself and a crew on an island to build a undersea battleship. And um, throughout the, the series of these stories, um, he would uh, command uh, a naval crew and confront the British, the French, Russians, defeating all of them, of course. Um, and uh, in a later one, even teamed up with the Filipino nationals against the American occupation, uh, or a American occupation, since this is before World War II. So, uh, when Toho, Toho in 1963 decided to adapt it into a movie. Um, and, uh, what, their approach was very interesting, um, because first of all, they, they made a conscious decision to make it post-World War II, and also, um, it's, it (laughs) pretty much reverses the themes of the literature in that, this is a movie, more or less, the, 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 the point of the movie is denouncing nationalism and blind patriotism. No, you're 100% right, which is the best part of the movie. Yeah. So, I, it, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not a satire or anything in the way that Starship Troopers basically took a fascist novel and made fun of it. That movie's great, by the way. Agree or disagree? I love, oh, I love Starship oh, yeah. Troopers. It's a great movie. So, uh, so they, they didn't take the original work and satirize it they took the original work and pretty much just turned it upside down um i feel like this is this is obviously the most popular of the movies we're going to be talking about um for good reason uh which we'll we'll get back to when we we go do our back and forth review thing um uh but uh i mean First of all, uh, it's the introduction to a few things in the the Toho kaiju mythology. One being uh, the giant serpent, Manda. Um, And two being the introduction of the uh, Atragon, also known as the Gotengo. Depending on, I mean, Atragon is the, in the American dub, what the sub is called. But the actual name is the Gotengo. That's also what they called it later on in Godzilla Final Wars. So... Uh, do you have a preference on what to call this damn thing? I like Gotengo myself, but it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, it's just everything. Everything in these movies has to have like five names. So what it's about is uh, the lost continent of Mu reappears uh, because they are pissed off and they want to dominate the world. Now, if you are a lost, angry, undersea continent with advanced military technology that you've stolen uh, from from other countries, um, what's what? I mean, you you you. I'd say you're playing with decent odds, right? But they know that out there somewhere, a uh, Japanese naval uh, captain has built a undersea uh, warship, which is the title of the movie, that can uh, go through... I, I, I don't even think they say how deep it can go. They pretty much say that this submarine can go to any depth in the ocean. And it also has a gigantic drill on the end. So, 
you know, you're an undersea continent trying to take over the world. I would think that sounds like it'd be <laughs> one of the only things that could probably stop you. So obviously, they want the sub turned over to them so they can conquer the world. Now, here's the hang-up, Matt. <laughs> this, uh, this Imperial Japanese Navy captain, Captain uh, Jinguchi, he's kind of an asshole. Um, he he's is slightly, yes, just, just slightly. He uh, is uh, very. He he is not over Japan losing the war, um, which was twenty some years before the movie takes place. He's uh, he's very shamed. He feels shamed, and he 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 wants to bring back the. Uh, Imperial Japanese forces. He wants to uh, to make Japan great again. Um, <laughs> Your southern accent is <laughs> is uh, impeccable. And he's and and so his daughter, who he hasn't seen in years, uh, twenty years, I believe. Um, she goes to him uh, with uh, her. She considers him an uncle, but really his uh, old partner. Um, and they say, look, Lost Continent of Mu is trying to take over the world. They want your ship, and we need your ship to defeat them, so can you help us out? He's like, nah, man. They're like, why? He's like, this ship's for Japan. <laughs> this, 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 ain't, this isn't for anyone. This is just for Japan. And then, his, and then his daughter goes up to him. She's like, Dad, that's really not cool. And then the Mu people kidnap <laughs> her, and then they threaten, uh, they say... Listen, Jinguchi, you gotta give us your sub by midnight, or else we're just gonna start causing earthquakes and blowing stuff up and causing all kinds of of, of trouble. And that prompts a war between the Gotengo and the Lost Continent of Mu. And there you have the plot to Atragon. Um, now, Matt, since you are lame and didn't see these movies as a kid like the rest of us, you saw this recently, which, again, part of the point of this podcast is so you can watch all this crap you missed. So, what did you think of this one? Man, this is a, this is a great movie. Uh, first of all, uh, June Suzaki, I'm sure I'm butchering his name, right? No, you actually Suzaki. got that one right. Wow, I'm amazed with myself right now. Um, it, I, you see him in a ton of Toho films, and especially in the uh, Godzilla series, as always like a general of some kind commanding the army that Godzilla or his cohorts are about to destroy. But in this film, he uh, he's great. Um, he gives, a, honestly, a riveting performance. And there's a, a part in the movie where he's being convinced to, um, to basically use uh the gotengo atragon or undersea warship or whatever you decide to call it um and there's a great line in the film where basically i forget it's not the his daughter but um is it her, is it her boyfriend or just yeah, friend i'm not sure what the relationship was yeah, it's 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 the guy they like each other uh but he, the line is basically he tells the general that or the captain he's like you know you're wearing a rusty armor called patriotism and uh there's such like an impact during that, that sequence about how, you know, the, the war's over and he's clinging on to this idea about Japan still being in this war almost. And the war's been settled and he's been on this island away from everybody for 20 years. 
and the world and Japan need him to use this weapon to defeat a new enemy, and he's refusing to do it just because he wants to basically revitalize Imperial Japan. And that moment is so pit- uh, pivotal in the film, and I, I just feel like it, it basically it's the theme of the, that, drives that, home. Yeah, it's the theme I mean, of the, the movie, really, is that, look, put aside your petty shit and come help because... Like why? Why wouldn't you? Just because you're, you're, you're a patriot, you're saying you can't help, and that's bullshit. And then later on, he even acknowledges, uh, like he even says, backs themselves. Like I, he basically says, "I put away my my armor, and or I was wearing my my rusty armor for far too long, or so, something yeah. along those lines." I'm sure I'm I'm butchering that line, but it's. The, the movie itself is great. The uh, Atragon is awesome, like drilling through the base and uh, freezing Manda. And, you know, there, there's uh, the absolute zero cannon that they use, which is also then reused which, by which would uh, also Tezuka come later back on. In for the, the, yeah, in the Kuryu films also. Yeah, Mecha, yeah, yeah Mechagodzilla. And it, it's just a really well put together and well thought out film. Um, and it, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Um, and for me anyway the the idea especially again I, I hate to bring up like shin godzilla so much but like this is the <laughs> film that is like the antithesis to that you know like if you talk about honda yeah so I, I really i really like it yeah um and and there there's this like it sounds so like weird to go out of your way to really praise the performances in a lot of these movies and not to say that they're bad but they're 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 usually played much broader um and next to matango i don't know if there's another movie from this time period in this genre that has really a lot more like subtle and understated character beats not as many as in those two films um but i mean to bring back the uh the captain and the the line where they say he's he's you know your problem is you're wearing rusty old armor called patriotism. Um, uh, his um, his admiral who is uh, has been taking care of his daughter all these years. Like when they first meet up and talk to each other, at first it's like, oh hey, how how have you been? It's great to see you. But then like you you can see through the course of a conversation what these two people are 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 telling the audience about themselves um the admiral says to him like you know kind of talks about the war as if it's something that he he doesn't even want to think about and the captain's like oh what don't you like well the war japan yay and the the admiral says like because he calls him admiral and he's like don't call me that don't don't call me admiral i'm not an admiral anymore and he said he says when when people call me that, it feels like they're touching an old scar, and and he's like, "What? What are you talking about? An old scar? That's nonsense, Admiral." And it's like, you can see that these two guys are coming from a very different place post war, and uh, I mean, an- and another thing going on at the time is there were guys like Captain Jinguchi who were very like shaken by japan's defeat in the war and they were the just these kind of stragglers of that just kind of represented a part of japan that hasn't been around in 20 20 some years and there were a lot of guys like that um so i mean that's something that is also based in reality going back to how good the writing is 
um, the Empress of Mu, she is almost is presented as like the flip side to Jinguchi because after he changed his his mind, because um, they do take her hostage, and at the end of the movie, she's watching Mu be destroyed and she swims off to die with her people um again another very japanese world war ii idea of i would rather die with my country than do anything else and so to see who's basically the villain of the movie make that decision where we see a complete turnaround from jinguchi who comes together to save the world I don't know. I, I feel like you don't really get that much um, depth out of most of most tokusatsu films. I, and that doesn't mean they're not good. It just means they're doing something different. But that's also why I appreciate this movie so <clears throat> so much. Excuse me. Yeah, I would say like this film and you mentioned Matango. They they have such um, different levels, oh, different themes, but also just depth to their messages and you're right this isn't like your typical monster on the loose or disaster film or whatever it has something important to say um and this movie is asking a japanese audience a tough question in that how much of this post-war baggage are you going to take carry with you throughout your life or are you are you going to be able to look past it to drop it to get along with people better you know, I, I, I think that and, and back then, I mean, I don't know how people reacted. I know this movie was received well and made money. So um, I don't know. Those are just things that I really think make this movie stand out as something something special. Uh, and I it, it, I it gets lost in the shuffle sometimes when people talk about Toho science fiction movies Um and I think it's just the general thing that it's really not a kaiju movie. And, you know, that's what most people want to see. Um, and it, when I was a kid, um, I got this on like a, oh my God, a really horribly, uh, horrible looking bootleg of the English dub um, when I was a little kid. And this, I, I, I could not get into it. The movie just put me to sleep. And then as I got older, um few, fast forward a few years later trying to get into it more it's like okay i actually paying attention to it and not just waiting for the manda scenes i'm like okay i actually do get what this movie's trying to say i actually feel a a, a sense of frustration that jinguchi is being s- so stubborn and not getting the big picture um and over the years, it's it's been one that um, I've just come to appreciate more and more. I, I might even like this movie more than more with each viewing, and I've seen it a lot. So, um, well, I mean, the, it, as far as Manda goes, you Manda was basically included at the behest of Tomoyuki Tanaka, anyway, because they just wanted to include. I mean, for marketing purposes, more or less. Yeah, they, they just wanted uh, a monster to stick in the trailer to get people to go to the movies. Kind of like something for uh, Mysterians and I think uh, Mogera. Gorath and... Yeah, yeah, which Gorath is a weird inclusion, too. That's <laughs> the weirdest, like, out-of-nowhere monster, I think. Yeah, Manda at least makes sense plot-wise. He's like their god that they sacrificed. Yeah, that, that at least the inclusion was was thoughtful in, in a lot of ways. 
<laughs> not, not so much with uh, uh, Gorath. Um, I don't know. It is a movie that I, I admire more and more each time I watch it. Um, uh, <laughs> I will say one part that always cracks me up is when there's that American sub this chasing the moo ship and and the guy's like we can't go any deeper we're we'll collapse under the water pressure and they they just keep going and the guys like, like what are you, you doing stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the red satan is the name of that sub that, and wow. i i love that effect of when it like implodes <laughs> yeah which is a good segue into the effects um the effects in this are great um yeah uh the miniatures are fantastic i think some of subaraya's best work um and the the gotengo itself is just it's pretty awesome i, I mean the gotengo is in the that it's so it's such a classic it's a simple design it's a great design that it's it's what if you're familiar with this these movies it's one that if you see the silhouette you know what it is right off the bat and ever since this movie it's been it's been one of the more famous uh icons of of the genre and it's it's turned up in multiple uh it's been in like a bunch of Godzilla video games um they brought back a version of it for the war in space they did uh, 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 an anime, Toe did an, an anime Super Atragon, which was loosely based on the, the novels. has nothing to do with the plot of this movie or really those novels, just kind of another telling of a similar story. Um, and then, of course, who could forget, it shows up in Godzilla Final Wars being piloted by Don Fry. The mustache king. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the 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 models in this movie are just fantastic. Um, I think there were three or so um, Atragon props. I think the biggest one was something like twenty feet. That's incredible. It was huge, and it it all it's got all these little like um, pieces that move. The tip of the drill spins and pops out, um, and it, it's it's just a great looking uh, miniature. Um, Oh, also, uh, are you familiar with um, the Sazer X shows? Yeah, oh, slightly anyway. Yeah, well, you know they did the Sazer X movie, and the Gotengo showed up in that. I did not know that. Oh, yeah, it not. was uh, the the movie was directed by Kazuki Omori, um, and uh, they used it was the because Final Wars has two Gotengos. It has the one in the beginning, which is the classic design. And then the one Don, F- Don Fry pilots is like a modern, a modernized, updated design. They used the 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 Final Wars prop for the classic design in the Caesar X movie. And you know who uh, played the captain of the Gotengo in the Caesar X movie? You're probably going to tell me in about two seconds. Yes, it was <laughs> the guy that played Gondo in Biolante. That's pretty sweet. And they re- and they reused the Fukube theme and everything. Speaking of which. This movie has an amazing score. Also. It does. Yeah, it really does. Um, the it's it's honestly, I think it's one of his best themes. Um, uh, <clears throat> it's it's probably it's like a top top five of Fukube theme for me. We got Subaraya, you got Honda, and you got 
Sekizawa who wrote, and then you got uh, it's, it's. I mean, you got the a the A plus team for Toho. Also, yeah. Um, also, all star cast. Um, Tadeo Takashima, who you remember from King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, Yu Fujiki, who's the guy that eats the egg <laughs> in Godzilla vs. <versus> the Thing. <laughs> um, the I think guy. this is the first time Kenji Sahara played a villain. Um, yeah. Uh, Eisei Yamamoto plays the, the high priest of, of Mu. He was the toy maker in Godzilla's Revenge. Um, you, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie before, you'll know all these people. Um, and of course, yeah, Jun Tazaki... Who, yeah, he, he really just had these bit parts as, you know, he's the, the guy spouting off the plans to go, um, you know, set up some weapon or something. But he actually gets a, a, a leading role here, and it's a really meaty one, and it really shows off that he was a great actor. Um, uh, and uh, from what I understand, his role was <clears throat> kind of written with Toshiro Mifune in mind, which... Oh gosh, him in a a, a, a Honda directed sci fi movie. Who wouldn't want to see that? Um, he's one that would have been. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the greatest actors of all time. Um, but he was wrapped up with Kurosawa's Red Beard, which, geez, that movie took years and years and years to make for many ridiculous reasons that we won't get into. Um, but uh, you know and. You wouldn't think, oh, get Jun Tazaki <laughs> if you can't get <laughs> the replacement. But no, he 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 really brought his A game. And from what I understand, he was a former um, uh, Imperial Navy officer. So I'm sure he brought a lot of his personal experience into the role as well. Like I said, as I've gotten older, I've just loved it more and more, and I really consider it one of Honda's best movies. Now, um, I have a couple nitpicks, um, that really are just that nitpicks. Um, obviously the, we talked about like the centerpiece of this movie, at least from a storytelling point of view, is that conversation with, um, Jinguchi and his daughter. But after she gets kidnapped, he doesn't, doesn't really seem to be concerned or does he, i don't even know if he finds out <laughs> that she was kidnapped yeah he's he's kind of it's like he's apathetic or something like it's just kind of like it, it's there and i don't know and, and he, then when, and then when they they have their reunion at the end of the movie he's just like hey like welcome back it's like what like i i think one more like heartfelt scene between the two of them would really raise this movie to being almost a perfect movie in my book um and then like there's like a couple other dumb things like like when they they kidnap the Mu Empress to escape and they put on the the Mu uh like swimming gear and they <laughs> swim out the Atragon ship just picks them up it's like how did they know that they weren't like going to blow them up <laughs> like how did they know that they were them is what i mean but i mean yeah. I, those are like dumb little things that in the grand scheme of theme things really don't matter much my biggest one is i would have liked one more like dialogue character scene with uh those two characters but well my, my only defense for for like the i guess lack of that scene is the fact that he's not seen his now basically estranged daughter for 20 years and maybe he just doesn't they have this like awkward relationship anyway 
so maybe he just doesn't know what to do with it like throughout the entire movie they're just very they're very distant very almost cold like his daughter even doesn't quite know how to react to him a lot either i mean that would be that would be a defense for that i agree with you that that it could have helped but for me it didn't seem to lessen that at all Mm -hmm. i don't don't know did less my enjoyment i guess um but yeah and i i also just i really admire i mean i admire honda for his pacifism and always his positivity uh i mean this is a guy that was a pow in world war ii uh went through the remains of hiroshima uh, and like for someone like that to be a pacifist and make these movies with these messages about coming together and overlooking the, the petty stuff I mean, that, I, I would love to be able to look at life that way, but I'm a cynical bastard with, like, no faith in people. But part I, can, of, I can vouch for what he's saying, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally vouch for this. But part of why I look up to Honda so much is because I strive to one day get to where he was coming from. You know, I don't know if it's a realistic goal, but because my perception of stuff is way too fucked up. But, well, then the, the next movie is going to ruin you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But but that's why I love these movies so much. And it's like, this is like how the I wish the world was. And for him to, to be, to take a movie in a sci-fi setting and say, point, basically say, hey, ultranationalism and blind patriotism are wrong because they cloud your judgment and affect your how how you are with people you know that it it turns you into someone who won't even help save the world you know i I mean that's a bold stance and that's the message of this movie is that that stuff is wrong and it's stuff that we should all put behind us so we can all come together um i'm i'm a fan i a fan of that and like i said there's those tiny little nitpicks and because of that instead of doing a five um I am going to give this one uh I'm going to do 4.5 uh out of 5 submarine sandwiches. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I, I am uh I'm right there with you in in my admiration of Honda for pretty much the same reasons. Um what what I love specifically about his films is that i find them to have something to say and you don't always see that in i mean when, when you think of like 1960 science fiction films like a lot of people cast those aside as being just b movies and and that's not what this is and this has a um man god i, I look at the world now and like i think about this film and, and it just it's so like this movie now is timely movie made in the 60s has a lot that can be said about the world today and well, and, and it, the, the well uh, not to interrupt but i'm totally with you in that right now nationalism and uber it's not just a problem we're seeing now with what we're coming up to trump's america but it's also a problem in japan uh i mean yeah. look at like the brexit thing like it's it, again it's like everywhere you said, like it's sadly a still relevant message yeah, and I, I, like you can you can be a, a patriot and you can love your country, but to do so so blindly and to never question, like, hey, 
uh, I mean, not to not to bring up something political, but I, it's like, hey, we're blowing up using drone strikes in what countries, and, and why are we like to not ask questions and not to figure out why we're doing certain things. I think that matters, and this movie I think speaks to that. Like, you can be a patriot, you can love your country, but don't be afraid to at least ask questions. You can't be blind to those kind of things. Yeah, and like. That's that would be my big takeaway from this. I mean, I've always felt like if you really loved your country, you would constantly be questioning it because you you would constantly want it to be better, right? You I know? mean, you would think so, but like <laughs> a lot of people just for whatever reason it's like they don't man, I don't know, they don't think for themselves or they're afraid to ask or they don't want to know. Or I, uh, I mean, yeah. it's it's a and scary it's, world sometimes. Yeah, there, and there's there's a lot of places going through that right now, like not just us. Um Oh, yeah, for sure. And but this movie would de- for me would get a five. Uh, it would get five non Subway sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it it's got it's got everything that I would want from a science fiction film. It's entertaining. Has great character sto- Great character arcs. It's great special effects. <laughs> it has it has a monsters. I mean, like for a movie that is a kid, I I always found so boring. I don't know how, even as a kid, how I thought that because this movie flies by like it's the, quick. The the it's 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 super entertaining and the pacing is just the pacing is really tight. Yeah, so I mean, it's like it's an hour and a half, which is pretty typical for for a Toho film at, at, at this time, anyway. Um, it's it's great. I mean, it's it's worth watching, and especially if you're someone who um can can look at a message from a film. I mean, I. If you're just here for the monsters, like this movie won't be for you. Like, <laughs> um, but if you can see beyond that, like this is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it, d- yeah, don't just see it out of obligation because like it establishes a bunch of stuff in the Godzilla lore. See it because it's a damn good movie. So uh, I don't know. I it, and you d- did not watch the anime, right? Super Atragon. I did not, but that's mainly because you told me that it was crappy. <laughs> yeah, it's not that good. I rewatched it because I was like, well, if we're going to do this, we should talk about it. And I rewatched it just to see if it's even necessary. And that's one that is a kid I also found really boring. It wasn't as boring as I remembered, but it just wasn't very remarkable. Um, like the first part is just setting up the plot. And it's like <clears throat> um, these... Uh, um, like people with powers from like a lost continent help make uh the atra or not no not even a gotengo it's the ra and the see i don't even remember the name of the other ship and the americans have one the japanese have the other and they fight in world war Two. and then later they have to uh fight for some i don't even remember because the, the first half is just, like, character stuff, and then the second half is all naval battles. And it, it was more entertaining than I remembered it, but as you can see by that piss-poor description, I don't even remember what it was, like, happening in it. And I just watched it, like, a month ago. I remember um, wanting to see it because I think it was included on, like, every ADV Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Movie. They, like, they, the trailer, they, they, like, pimped out to yeah, everything. Yeah, ADV really sold the hell out of that movie for some reason. That and, uh, of course, Evangelion. Yeah. They, they had, like, that. those are the two things they, they pimped out on all the stuff that I own from ADV. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Super Atragon, maybe watch it once as a curiosity, but it's, I mean, maybe at some point we'll talk about it more on the podcast. 
who knows? I mean, there's so much other stuff we want to talk about first, so we're we're just not going to deal with that. I give Super Atragon like a two a two unremembered plot synopsis <laughs> out of five. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to go. You ready to get into the next one? Yeah, we can do the next one. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm I'm feeling I'm 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 in the swing of things now. My I think yeah, my energy it took drink, us like half an hour, but like it, it I think we're finally there. Yeah, I, I th- our, my energy drink uh I think has finally taken hold and I am no longer in the funk I was in a half hour ago. So you've you've heard me uh become more caffeinated throughout the this recording. Um so we're going to talk about uh, Latitude Zero, 1969. Also a Toho film. Also directed by Ashiro Honda, written by Shinichi Sekizawa, scored by Akira Fukube, and um, effects by Subaraya. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this would be Subaraya's last science fiction movie, sadly. Um, Makes me sad. Still. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, I have seen rumor of this, but I have no no basis in fact, so it may just be fan speculation that morphed into perceived fact, that at one point, this was going to be an Atragon 2, and then I have also heard that the movie itself wasn't going to be an Atragon 2, but the ship designs in this movie were going to be for an Atragon sequel at some point. Again... I have no um, quotes or anything from that. That's just from different things I've read over the years in little trivia columns that usually don't have any citations. So that's just a fun maybe fact. Um, again, I can't can't say one way or the other. Um, uh, but both of those things are entirely possible, I guess. Uh, Latitude Zero, like Atragon... Um, is also based on another property that was not uh, conceived by Toho. Uh, Atragon is actually based on a uh, 1941 radio serial, uh, which is a radio drama. They did have those things way back when. Um, uh, written by Ted Sherdeman, who also co-wrote this movie. Um, people listening may... May, if you really know your giant monster movies, you may recognize that name. Matt, do you recognize that name? I should, but I don't. I'm a terrible person and human being. He wrote what is probably the best giant insect movie to come out of that whole giant insect boom in America. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Um, Them? I don't know. Yes, Them. Have you seen Them? uh years ago when i was a kid but i don't i don't remember much about it oh it's great um but yes uh so yeah this movie uh written by the writer of them um so take that to the bank um at least at least i got the the movie right See, yeah I do know you did something. good job that was a yeah yeah good job um so this one has a kind of a uh troubled production because it was going to be a co-production with an american company um now uh unfortunately um just as the american cast was arriving in japan uh the american company went bankrupt 
So um, Toho ended up footing most, if not all, of the production budget. Um, uh, speaking of the American cast, this is really cool because you have people who are like legitimate American stars mixing it up with, with the Toho um, regulars. So uh, the main protagonist is played by a uh, Joseph Cotton, who, geez, what hasn't Joseph Cotton done? Um, early in his career, he was a reg- an Orson Welles regular, um, Citizen Kane, probably the most obvious movie he's been in to most people, um, Magnific- Magnificent Ambersons, um, uh, geez, he's been in so many movies, um, later in his career, he was in more, more B-movie stuff, he worked with Mario Bava, uh, and, um, but, uh, no, uh, Again, great actor. Um, and then Cesar Romero plays the villain, Dr. Malik, who you should know as the Joker from the 1960s Batman, which I, I love that show. I grew up on that show. Um, Patricia Medina as um, Malik's lover. or uh, But she was, um, she was a popular actress um, who was actually married to Joseph Cotton. Um, and they were married when they filmed this, too. Um, but yeah, the American funding fell through and Toho had to pick up the slack, um, which in certain places it shows in certain places it doesn't. Um, and, uh, so, uh, this movie is about a, um, uh, uh, two scientists, an oceanographer played by Akira Takarada and um, a geologist played by Masumi Okada, and a journalist played by Richard Jekyll. Oh, another American star, um, uh, American character actor. He's in all kinds of stuff. He was in a lot of westerns. Um, in the 80s, he was in John Carpenter's Starman, uh, The Dirty Dozen, um, and another guy that a lot of people probably know. Um, and the three of them are doing some research in the bottom of the ocean, and they get caught up in this current and they get knocked out they get picked up by some people in wetsuits and taken back uh to a place called latitude zero which again we're getting back to the theme of a hidden underwater continent or paradise uh, about i think they say it's 15 miles below the surface at the intersection of the equator and the dateline um and latitude zero is um not really it's explained they don't have politics there um but uh so i don't necessarily want to say run by uh craig mckenzie who um uh pilots the submarine the alpha latitude zero is a continent that is like i said it's a paradise um gold is gold and diamonds are as common as like dirt um uh and uh people are pretty much free to wear whatever they want uh there's people from all cultures all places of the world um it's largely made up of the top scientists of the world um they say there's all these scientists that went missing or are presumed dead they really just went to latitude zero because they're sick of they're sick of the shit on the surface earth <laughs> um uh it um mckenzie says uh, you know they they only they they only eat you know the the best 
healthiest food. Um, and, uh, you know, since, since so many cultures have gone there, everyone's brought in different architecture, clothing. So it's really just a big melting pot of all the cultures of the world. And he, and, and, uh, Richard Jekyll asked him, well, who, who runs this place? And he's like, nobody. He's like, you don't have politics? He's like, no, politics are for weak people. We don't need politics here because everyone, basically, you know, everyone's cool. He's like, well, don't people get in arguments? He's like, yeah, sure. But, you know, everyone here is smart enough to to know, you know, their their boundaries. And and, he, and it's like, well, what if someone doesn't like it here? And, the, and he's like, any of these people can leave any anytime they want. Obviously... We, the audience, knows that there's no way in hell that's even a realistic idea that a place like this could exist. But it's an amazing fantasy. And I, I feel like in Ashiro Honda's head, this is what the he... The, I feel like this Latitude Zero is the the place that he imagined one day, hopefully, the world could get there. There's no war. There's no politics. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's happy. Um, uh, there's it's po- completely post-racial, and uh, so that's one thing I just love about this movie. It's like you, I, that's a special kind of. I mean, pacifism isn't a new thing in science fiction, but it's a special kind of pacifism that Honda always presented. This idealistic paradise and i think latitude zero is really just an encapsulation of all of the ideas that he's presented in his movies up until that point um now not everything can be cool because see uh oh yeah and the people of latitude zero live to be like several hundred years mackenzie says he's over 200 um (laughs) i forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, obviously, the people of Latitude Zero, most advanced science. Uh, now, Mackenzie says, well, everything, things aren't super great here. On the way here, you, we were chased by a maniac. His name is uh, Dr. Malik, and he's played by Cesar Romero, who, I mean, is the perfect over-the-top scenery-chewing movie villain, right? Um, and uh, he's like well, how come he's such an asshole and everyone else is so cool around here? And, and Mackenzie says, well, you know, uh, the two of them were students together and uh, they just went separate paths and he turned into a cackling Bond villain, basically. <laughs> and Mackenzie turned out to be a, a pretty cool, chilled-out pacifist. And uh, so Malik is... He, he He's trying to seize the Alpha, which is Mackenzie's sub... With his sub, uh, the Black Shark, which is like Mackenzie's rival submarine. And the two of them are always getting in little undersea battles and chasing each other around. Because Malik says the, the Alpha's a better, a better sub, so he wants it. Now, on top of that, he has um, also kidnapped a scientist who was coming to Latitude Zero because he had found a way to... Uh, irradiate people so like an anti-radiation he like found a way to do that and malik is like well i would rather use that for super villain stuff and Mackenzie would rather do it for positive stuff so he kidnapped him and he also happens to be a kind of dr moreauish maniac who cuts <laughs> up animals and sews them all together 
Um, so, uh, so it, it to kind of threaten uh, this scientist, he he takes uh, the brain of his uh, assistant, who um, captain is the captain of the Black Shark, who uh, her name's Kroiga, and he puts her brain into a lion that he sews a condor's wings to. Uh, on top of that, he's got all kinds of other crazy monsters. He's got these bat-human hybrids and uh, some really awful-looking giant rats that look like the rats <laughs> from, like, a princess bride or something. Um, I feel like that was part of the, hey, we lost half our funding thing. Oh, it had um, to be, yeah. None of the monsters really look that great in this. So the bat people, the rats, the the griffin that he he puts together with all those pieces that I just talked about. Um, but for what it lacks in fancy monster effects, it has gr- again great miniatures. Um, and uh, I don't know what it is about Subaraya and Toho in these submarine movies, but again, they look great. They're photographed great. Um, now I have talked a lot. So Matt, again, you being lame and not seeing this until recently, <laughs> what did you think of Latitude Zero? Um, I liked Latitude Zero. Uh, Caesar Romero is cracking me up the entire time because I also grew up on Batman. My um, it's actually I think my grandma and grandpa. Uh, I started watching it with them, and so like seeing the Joker <laughs> basically still be the Joker in this movie is uh was was pretty awesome um his over-the-top antics uh just like his i don't know his laugh his he has like one of the the first time you see him he's like staring at the like the yeah i was gonna bring that up he's in he's introduced into the movie by looking out into the ocean and just laughing (laughs) at nothing yeah it's the best (laughs) like non-joker joker entrance ever in in a film um but the thing that sort of like kind of takes it down a notch as you talked about is like the the creatures for as interesting as they are supposed to be are just kind of not like the the human hybrid brat, bad things sort of look like furbies like <laughs> they're just you can tell that that the the uh suits are not up to toho's normal standards um some of the fighting is is kind of ill conceived a little bit Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it felt a little stale. I mean, the message is interesting, and that ending. <laughs> uh, the ending is like, wait, did did it happen? Did it not happen? So, um, so I liked it, but I, I just I felt that it kind of felt a little stale. But I, I liked a lot of the characters, um, but the creatures, man, the creatures are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are one of those, I'm seeing it for the monsters. Like you'll probably get some good kicks. Like this, this is kind of the. If someone makes fun of like uh, when people make fun of Toho films for being B movies, this is what I, they th- they think. This the is what they think like, of. Right? Yeah, this is what they think of probably. Um, um, but there's some good stuff in here. I mean, I I don't want it to come off as being overly negative. It it actually is a fun movie. Um, I don't know. It it just it, after going from like Atragon to this. <laughs> It's just like a, a very noticeable notch down for me. Yeah. Um, I'm with you in the stuff on the, the budget uh, restrictions. Um, uh, would you agree with me that the miniatures are still awesome? Oh, yeah, for sure. The miniatures yeah. are great. 
Oh, another thing. Um, I just I just took a look at my notes. I haven't looked at them all night, which probably is no surprise to anyone listening. Um, <laughs> uh, another thing about Latitude Zero, the actual place is cool. Is they don't need cars to get anywhere, and there's no pollution and no smog. So again, and also, yeah, especially we've talked about this before. 1969, Japan had a huge pollution problem. Um. um but I, 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 it's, it's, it's such a quirky little movie, um, and I, I don't know. I think that um, it's n- the thing is, there are those moments where you tell they're playing because I mean, basically, with this was supposed to be a much bigger budget movie. They lost half of their money before yeah. this movie even got made. So bad that when um, the three main American powerhouse actors start. Uh, arrived in japan being joseph cotton caesar romero and uh, patricia medina toho said guys we have some bad news uh we lost half our money and they were (laughs) oh my i'm sure everyone was shitting bricks because they said um you guys are our biggest stars of the movie but we kind of can't pay you until six months after this movie is released. Yeah, I'm sure that was. I'm sure that conversation went up. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> and the story with that, uh, as accounted by Patricia Medina, is Joseph Cotton said, pretty much said, they all pretty much said, "Fuck y'all, I'm out of here." But the three of them kind of talked it out and said well if you do it i'll do it and and i think the joe i think it was joseph cotton said uh you know they probably already have a really bad perception of us based on what they've gone through with this american company so let's tough it out and let's do it to show them you know we're not ugly americans and sure enough they went there they did the work and uh tanaka paid them six months after release just as he said so Everyone won out in the end. Um, another thing that we still haven't mentioned that's surprising, and that again, it just adds to the the weird like quirkiness of the movie, is that all the Japanese actors are speaking <laughs> English. The movie was shot in English, so when you watch this movie in English, you're hearing everyone's real voices. They're not dubbed. Nobody's dubbed. Um, some of the actors work out okay. Akira Takarada surprisingly did all right. Did, did, all did right. very well. They all learn their English phonetically too, which means they're just learning the sounds. That, yeah, <laughs> and repeating them. Um, but then like uh, Akahiko Harata, who you know, Sarazawa guy, he he's just a nightmare. I couldn't understand. <laughs> I I can't understand anything he says in this. Um, luckily, he only has one scene. Um, yeah, I had to really like lean into the TV almost to understand what he was saying. <laughs> no, I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, also, this was the first movie of Linda Haynes, who was not a big star, but she went into being a lot of cult movies after this. Um, Coffee with Pam Greer, um, Rolling Thunder, uh, The Drowning Pool. Not a lot of credits, but it's like almost everything she's in is a cult movie. Uh, oh yeah, getting back to the American producers, because obviously the funding fell through, but, um, like the, the few parts of the American party that stuck around, 
um, really kind of there's a an interview with um, Teriyoshi Nakano who was uh, you know Subaraya's pretty much like his right hand man until he took over after he passed away. Um, there's a long interview with him on the DVD where he just talks about how you know they had a one of the American writers or producers like the one guy left from the American team on the set and they were just constantly arguing about like how the movie should be because. You know, um, the Japanese and American directors use different camera setups. And so this guy was always interjecting and they were like, okay, let's try it the American way. And then after like two days, they're like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> um, the, the real big thing was uh, he clashed with Honda over a scene where um, uh, our three main characters in Linda Haynes and uh, Joseph Cotton uh, and a couple other actors get into a pool where they come out with like bulletproof skin, like Luke Cage skin. Um, <laughs> and this, <laughs> this American guy wanted Linda, uh, you know, gratuitous Linda Haynes nudity, which I'm sure we wouldn't mind, but Honda was like, I, what? Like, this isn't really like, the yeah, kind of it doesn't movie, really <laughs> like I'm making. And so they, they kind of um, compromised on, you know, just showing her shoulders and like her silhouette and stuff. Um, and then another another part they clashed with was um, uh, when Cesar Romero's lover gets killed at the end in uh, I think the I think the Japanese oddly they wanted Joseph Cotton to use her as a human shield. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you can't have your hero doing that. So they settled for, like, she kind of, like, runs into a knife and gets stabbed by accident. Yeah, Which, that, that part's that, also weird, because she, like, turns to dust. Yeah, that whole, that whole sequence was just odd. It doesn't, it doesn't really work that well. It was hard to tell what even happened to her. Like, all of a sudden, she, like, falls on a knife, and he's like, did I just kill you? Cesar <laughs> 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 Romero's like, I think I just killed her. I'm not really yeah. sure. I, I I don't I don't know why she turns to dust. I'm sure they thought it was just like a weird visual, but I don't know. I, maybe she was one of his experiments or something. I, I don't what? know. <clears throat> did uh did Nakajima play the uh, the Griffin? Uh, he was the Griffin, and he was also one of the rats. That's right. Yeah, those um, rat things were atrocious. Yes. Um, and Joseph Cotton's like a uh, sidekick, that like big Japanese guy. He's a beast, man. For some reason, he's the only... Uh, he he doesn't speak any English. Yeah. <laughs> like, did, did they just, like, give up on this guy or <laughs> and say, like, okay, you don't have to do it or what? Because he talks in Japanese. Everyone else in the movie speaks in English. Yeah, but his words are basically, hi. <laughs> like, he just... He says yes a lot. And yeah. he, whatever he's saying is one or two lines. It doesn't really seem to have much bearing on what's actually going on. <laughs> um... Uh, but yeah, this is, um, it's a, it's a thoughtful movie. It's a quirky movie. It's not an incompetently made movie, but yeah, the, the, the budget issues definitely show, which, you know, that's not, they didn't know they would get screwed over by, by, you know, this other company. Um, uh, but before, <laughs> I guess we'll talk a little bit more about the ending, but you know what, what really stuck with me when I just watched this is, um, at the end, um, uh, one of our main characters decides to go back to the surface. 
everyone else decides to stay in latitude zero. And when he goes back to the surface, um, there's like this montage of like little like news clippings and news footage and pictures of like starving kids in Africa and like like uh, war pic- images and all these horrible things that we go through here on the earth. And uh, like that's going back to kind of what we were saying with Atragon, really going back to Honda is not a stupid director and he puts thought into his films. And like, I mean, anyone else who would just make like a goofy escapist adventure movie like that would not put in these images of like real life images of, you know, these skinny kids in Africa and starving people and, you know, dead bodies at the end. And it, I, I, I just going back to, I've said before, Honda is my favorite director and it's because he's able to take these movies that under anyone else's direction might just be throwaway B movies and really put a lot of thought into what, what he's doing with them. Um, and, and that was just kind of like, it was like at the end of the movie saying like, okay, you've enjoyed your time in this like, utopian paradise but this is what you guys are gonna walk out of the theater and and go hear about again so think about how we can make the world you live in like the world in latitude zero like i don't know again that just shows why i appreciate him as a director so much do you remember that little it's it's only like a few seconds but do you remember that part yeah I, I do it's uh very obviously a contrast to latitude zero to the re- to the uh real world and it, you're, you're right. I mean, like his, we're, we're right uh, in line, step in step with how we view Hans's work. And I, I really appreciate the stuff that he does in his films. And, and you're absolutely right, especially with a movie like this, where you, you lose the budget and you have, uh, especially the, like I said, the suits that are not up to typical Toho standards. And under anybody else, like nobody else is going to take and, and make that scene to try to make a point. They're probably just going to make a monster movie or movie with a science fiction movie, but he tries to make a point out of it. Um, which is why I like him so much. And I, I think Honda's actually my, he, he's also my, my favorite director. Um, and it's weird. Cause like when, when like someone's like, Hey, who are your favorite? Like five directors. My first one's Honda who made all these like Japanese, like, monster movies and then and then like i go into like the answers a lot of people say i'm like oh and then like scorsese and kurosawa (laughs) and everyone's like what but i I like i just i just think that his thoughtfulness is something that well we we just talked about something like godzilla's revenge which is a a kid's movie but it has something very important to say yeah another movie that is under honda's direction is a lot smarter than it deserves to be really (laughs) (laughs) it really is and I, like I said, I kind of consider, even though it's far from his best movie or the best movie of this era, I think the ideas presented in Latitude Zero are really a culmination of all of Honda's themes. Latitude Zero is a place is all of Honda's ideas about how the world should be put into one central idea, one place, this utopia. One of the things that we are doing by looking more into what these movies are saying and what the point is, is we want you guys to walk away from these podcasts, maybe, hopefully, looking at these movies a little closer. I think people have to look at the movies thematically and not just as like, oh, they're, they're, they're science fiction films. 
um, I don't know. To me, like I, I would take any Toho film, especially like from the you know from the '60s, and stack it up against any westerns science fiction film. I mean, like they're just they have they have things to to say, and they're they're not just entertaining or fun movies, but like. I actually get something from them. Mm-hmm. That's meaningful. That's meaningful to me. I can't say that about every movie I watch. Yeah. Like I'm not going to watch Sharknado and feel like, Oh, Hey, I learned something like that's not. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and, and even something like we talked about, like Godzilla's revenge, like most people write that off as a really stupid kids film. But like after me having that, you know, my son's going to be three here in March and that movie has something really important to say about kids and like the absence of parents and what effect that has on kids and stuff. Like you don't, you, when you, when you think about a Godzilla film, like you're not thinking about that kind of message coming with the Godzilla film, but that movie has that message. Um, and, and again, that's all Honda, like the stuff that he does in his films. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words to even articulate it that well, to be frank with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> um, Oh yeah. By the way, we still haven't talked about the uh, the crazy ending for that. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I don't know what the hell's up with that ending. <laughs> well, it, it's implied that it 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 is it is real. Everything was real because he they say like, hey, we just got this notice that you're gonna get your diamonds. Uh, but then like Akira Takarada and Joseph Cotton and Cesar Romero all show up as like different characters, and they're like calling him crazy it's it's got that like wizard of oz ending kind of yeah you were there and you were there kind of thing (laughs) um i don't i don't necessarily know why it ends that way um (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh this is an interesting ending and then like i'm like what just happened and then they're like oh just kidding it actually did happen but maybe not yeah it's it's a weird ending i don't know so how many uh, rats, Furby rats, would you give out of five? I dropped my mic, so if oh, you were talking okay. and I wasn't answering for like five. Oh, I was, I was asking how many uh, giant Furby rats, or not really giant, but Furby rats, would you give out of five? Uh, oh. This is a three and a half. A solid three and a half, though. All right. Um, uh, it's not my favorite Honda movie, but it's by no means my least favorite um and you know it comes at a weird point in history where the japanese film industry was turning into something else so it's kind of like stuck awkwardly like with yog and godzilla's revenge in this like weird transition period um yeah but i really like all the ideas and um it's a, it's a really fun movie um it's got its shortcomings it's got its issues but it's a really fun movie, uh, and I would love to live in Latitude Zero. Um, so this is a three and a half, um, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's a really fun movie, and I would recommend it to pretty much anyone listening to this. Still, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two and a half. I think for me, the the sort of ineptitude with some of the the monsters and some of the fighting and stuff that happens like in the middle towards the end of the film um kind of kill it then you have like the the weird death scene with uh uh caesar romero's lover whatever her name is um (laughs) i I don't know like some of that stuff kind of 
as, as a film kind of kills the film the message and all the other stuff that that the film has is still good but but just as a film like it's just kind of it's it's a weaker film for me so i'm gonna go two and a half okay that's fair you know what i did for the first time and uh i in preparation for the podcast actually i um i watched the japanese version of this movie which is actually about 15 minutes shorter um and I prefer the longer uh, English version, to be honest. Uh, the Japanese move uh, version, it doesn't make any like significant cuts, but it's it's all like, you know, there's not really anything. Uh, it 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 just feel it almost feels like you're watching the movie on like fast forward, <laughs> or like someone keeps accidentally pressing like the chapter skip button. Mm. Um. And, Matt, this is going to turn you off from this version completely. It introduces Cesar Romero, like, in the middle of the conversation he has, he's having in that one scene, so we don't get his crazy intro laugh. No, you have to have the cackle, man. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what maniac thought it was okay to, to do that. But. They're, clearly not, they're clearly not the uh, 60s Batman <laughs> fans <laughs> that we are. Also, uh, apparently, speaking of the ending, apparently the original ending had um, had Richard Jekyll going back, getting back to the surface, and finding out that it was fifty years later. So, also weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also weird. Um, and then uh, uh, the Bat uh, Men monsters—they ended up uh, showing up in Godman. Oh yeah, that thing. <laughs> Which people just just YouTube Godman clips and I, I promise you it's worth it. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it really is worth it. Also, did you notice what Malik's ringtone was on his phone at uh, his island compound? I did when I watched it, but I don't remember now because I remember thinking, "Oh crap!" But I, I don't remember what, what it is now. It's King Ghidorah, man. Oh yeah. Well, that also that's like every Ultraman like ringtone <laughs> in the show. And if you want some loose connections to the Godzilla mythology, uh, both the Black Shark and the Alpha would show up in the Nintendo game, Godzilla Monster of Monsters. That game is awesome. All right, so we've taken a look at two uh, classic uh, uh, submarine science fiction epics from Ashiro Honda. Um, And uh, we're going to go skip several decades <laughs> and we're gonna go to uh 2005's lorelei the witch of the pacific um which uh toho put i said two, two th- anyway yeah 2005 directed by uh one shinji higuchi uh special effects wizard i believe this is the first feature film he directed um and this one uh, is of. Uh, it's interesting to compare it to the the previous two. I'll I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is a movie taking place during World War Two. Um, and uh, I'll give you the plot rundown, and then we will discuss because this movie brings up a lot of stuff to talk about. So. Um, it's based on a novel written, written by, uh, Harutoshi Fukui, uh, 
that's a name I probably messed up. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's very much a sort of what if kind of uh, historical kind of World War II movie. Um, so, uh, this is a, a science fiction naval uh, adventure film. I would call it. Um, so it is about a um, a su- a submarine um, that was given to the Empire of Japan by the Nazis, and um, it's uh, advanced tech, and um, it is uh, trying to stop. Uh, this is right after the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima, and it is trying to stop another atomic bomb um now uh it is um led by our captain masami um played by kojo yakusho who you would know if you're into j-horror he's in a lot of uh kiyoshi kurosawa's films like pulse and uh doppelganger i love those movies uh he's also in shall we dance um, he's in, uh, Babel, the Oscar, uh, nominated, um, uh, I guess it's a co-production between, uh, Mexico and the U.S., directed by, uh, Alejandro Inarito. so he's in a lot of stuff, um, 13 Assassins, uh, so he's the captain of this ship, um, and, uh, he gets on this ship and... Uh, there's a, a, a instruction manual in German that no one can read, and then uh, he, they they uh, end up finding out that the ship has a advanced sonar system called Lorelei, um, which it turns out is actually a girl named Paula who is a psychic. Um, she was not born a psychic. She is a psychic that basically those powers are a cause of a mutation that was a result of her being um, experimented on by the Nazis, who historically did conduct some awful human experiments. Uh, I don't think they made any psychic mutants, though. Um, <laughs> and so, basically, she plugs into some... I don't know. She just plugs into the submarine <laughs> and can use her powers to project a sonar image that would show, like, up to 150 miles out what what's going on so strategically that's a pretty cool little i don't want to say weapon but a a a tool that would help anyone um so um uh nagasaki gets bombed and then they find out that whoops uh it looks like a third atomic bomb is planned to hit tokyo so uh they uh, uh, they being the sub crew and, um, uh, uh, Paula get together and try to stop this third atomic bomb, uh, which is also kind of the orcus being been orchestrated by an insane, um, uh, <laughs> uh, commander who basically his goal is to wipe out Tokyo because he sees it as corrupt. So, he wants the Americans to drop this bomb and basically clean house and build Japan up from the ground again. Uh, Cause he also wants to make Japan great again. 
Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's a little more convoluted than that. I was trying to give as do it as cliff notes as possible. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the general plot. Um, now, I guess what this movie is doing uh, politically or what it's presenting is kind of another story. But before we get get into dive into the muck and get our hands dirty with whatever what this movie is saying, just in general, what did you? So again, barring any talk of politics or how the politics may differ from the previous movies we looked at, just as as a sci-fi adventure war naval submarine movie, it's just like how, what did you think of this film? Uh, I actually loved it. And I've seen, let's see here. First of all, I, I love all things World War II. I'm, I'm just fascinated by World War II. And so f- World War II science fiction, and you're talking about a Japanese-made science fiction film, like that's, I mean, that's my world, right? <laughs> um, plus, I, I've seen, I think Higuchi's now directed like seven or eight films. I think I've seen like six of them. Um, and this is by by far the, the best, the his best movie that I've seen. I think I, the only ones I haven't seen, are, I think, are Hidden Fortress and Floating Castle. So maybe you can tell me if those are any good because I've not seen those. Um, but this is like miles better than Attack on Titan, way better than Sinking of Japan. Um, I re- what I like about the film are th- the characters themselves are extremely likable. I mean, they're, they're they feel relatable. You care about them, so when things happen on screen, you you feel for them and. That's kind of one of the things that we're, we're probably going to go into a little more, bit more because of the message the film portrays. Um, but man, I, I really like it. I think I think that the premise behind it, the idea that um, Paula can basically show show the um, the crew where all the enemies are and they can dodge all the uh, depth charges and torpedoes and stuff. And then they can it, it, in turn retaliate or escape. Like that's kind of like a, a cool idea and concept. She's a mutant. Um, <laughs> she is I, like she could be a part of the x-men she could um she was also in death note the first one by the way um but the the the, the film itself man I, I loved it um but like it's hard to talk about without like talking about the actual politics so I'm <laughs> well to- yeah we'll, we'll we'll get into that um what, what did you think like i don't i'm I, like uh i don't hate this movie but i also don't like it nearly as much as you i don't think um i do agree with you on a couple points though uh i think this is by far higuchi's best directorial uh effort um better than sinking of japan attack on titan shin godzilla um and this is a movie that um and i this is the only movie i've seen of his where i do feel like he handled like character right like, um, it's still kind of broad strokes like you do see in some of his other movies, but not as bad. And there are some, like, nice character moments in this. Like, there's a, uh, like, one of the, one of the like, main guys on the crew of the sub is this guy that you think he's, like, an asshole, and he sort of turns out to be an asshole anyway. But, um, uh, one of the, 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 the pilots of this mini sub, um, he like he likes Paula and Paula like you know she doesn't eat and he's like hey I heard you were an ice you used to make ice cream and so he he makes her some ice makes some ice cream for this kid to go give to Paula and it's and it looks delicious too I, I, I this is a true story 
<laughs> this is a true story. When I watched this movie last, which was about a week ago or so, um, to rewatch it for the podcast, I paused it and I went and got ice cream. Subliminal messaging, man, it works. It, it really did. Um, <laughs> but like, I I don't think there's any other like I don't know. It's little moments like that that make these characters relatable. Um, and a lot of them are played by veteran actors. I already mentioned our, our leading man, but um, June Kunimura, who is in a... We talked about him. ton of stuff. He's in a ton yeah, of stuff. Yeah, he, he was in Shin Godzilla, but he was also in Final Wars, and he's in a ton of Takashi Miike movies. He was in Kill Bill. Um, it's always good to see him. Um, so you do have some actual veteran cast here who really are, like, giving it their all. Um, again the the characters are really likable and um uh there's also some some like genuinely tense sequences like there's a part where a guy like um they get hit and the sub has to it basically crashes onto the ocean floor and a guy like the uh, one of their like main batteries like leaks and a guy has to go in and change out this battery, and he's like, he's basically walking in acid, and he's like, ow, 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 and then he plugs in the battery, and then, like, (laughs) it's a tense sequence, because you're like, oh my god, that looks miserable, and sure enough, the next time you see him, he's just like a, (laughs) like a floating head or something. Yeah, he's actually, uh, that was like the second, I can't remember his name, but it's like the second, he's my favorite character in the film. Yeah, no, I really liked him too. Yeah, he he was my favorite one. Yeah, he was, he was a, and he just, and not really because he's like the most well-written character. He's just so he just seemed so relatable, and like he didn't really. He was just like, yeah, you know, I'm here to do this job. It sucks, but whatever. <laughs> I'm still positive. I'm still happy. Um, but it's it, that's a genuinely like unnerving scene. Um, and for all the the rah rah yay Japan stuff this movie presents, um, it really does. And I don't know if it was intentional or if it's just because the story's not about them, it really doesn't portray the U.S. as any, any, any more malicious or different from anyone else. They just kind of present them as, you know, they got a job to do out here, too, and it sucks. Um, so I, that's something else I appreciated about it. Um, so, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, subtext to get into with this movie. So before we go into that, um, knocking out the easy stuff... Obviously, Higuchi, if you watch the Gamera movies, you will know he is a he's an effects wizard. Um, that goes without saying. I think he's one of the best that's worked in this genre. Um, uh, the guy's incredible. However, he's incredible with practical effects. Um, <laughs> the Gamera movies were mostly practical with CGI, but I feel like somewhere while making that trilogy, he really got like a CGI bug and definitely gamer three. And we, we touched on this in our sinking of Japan episode. Um, the miniatures in this movie are astounding, but they're covered in so much CGI that when you, Matt, I don't think you've seen any, so I, I don't know, I might go through some books um, and maybe take some screenshots from the, the behind-the-scenes stuff on the DVD and send them to you. But the miniature submarines in this movie are, they're great. They're huge. They're detailed. They're amazing. But he shoots them in 
CGI water with CGI missiles, CGI explosions, CGI dirt. And there's so much CGI going on that you really can't appreciate the models very much, which is a lot um, kind of what I had an issue with with um, the buildings and sinking of Japan. These are gorgeous miniatures. Like I said, the guy's a wizard. But the the CG stuff, it's it, it, it gets in the way and... Like honestly, I, the the old the old school method of you know just put it in a fake blue set and add some some small effects over it, I think would have worked so much better. Yeah, it's like PlayStation Two level CG at times. I mean, it really is. Um, and it, it's like there were times when the CG was so bad, just like it was it was kind of nauseating, almost. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm I'm really interested to see those pictures because. Uh, I, I haven't been able to find any mm-hmm. through the magic of the interwebs. I just say interwebs. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, I haven't been able to find any of the, of the miniature sets. So like, I'm trying to, to wrap my head around like how badly he could have made something so awesome sounding look so terrible on screen. Yeah. Um, I'll take some screenshots sometime when I'm not too lazy. I do have a book that has, um, some of them. It's, it's the book that they sold in the gift shop at that, um, that, Studio uh, Ghibli Toku exhibit that uh, Anno and Higuchi orchestrated, uh, and they had a lot of the Lorelei stuff there. It's in that okay. book, and it's just like, wow, this is what I was really looking at. <laughs> it didn't look like it. Um, so, yeah, great miniatures, bad CG. That's just not a good combo. <laughs> it's really not. Um, so, uh, and also, one more thing. Um, this movie's two hours and eight minutes. And I'll say this is another movie... This is three movies in a row that I can say that it's paced really well. This movie doesn't feel like it's two hours. It does not, no. It's weird that, like, this would be his best movie because, like, giant, got- ti- giant titans and Godzillas and catastrophic earthquakes are way more interesting to me than... Yeah, uh, a, a psychic girl stopping a fake third bomb <laughs> in a submarine. It, it seems like he he got worse as not only a director but like his special effects ability, not his ability, but like his the the presentation <laughs> like just went steadily downhill after. I don't know. That's such a weird thing, though. Like I, I now if he, on- if if he came to Hollywood and they said, hey. You can do your miniatures, but we're going to give you like a huge CG budget. I think that would be like the best looking movie ever. But in Japan, it it just can't work that way, (laughs) you know, Um, and it's unfortunate. Uh, Let's talk about nationalism. (laughs) Uh, Just in reading kind of and I I stumbled upon I only stumbled upon this days ago and it wasn't even like on purpose. I wasn't looking for anything about this movie, but I was just kind of reading about Japanese war movies and how cinematically Japan has dealt with World War Two. And there's really two kind of subgenres in Japan's World War Two category. There's the kind of humanistic drama movies that kind of look at like how how war just affects people, um, how it traumatizes people, what it does to people, and really focusing on what it does to the human spirit. And uh, the Human Condition trilogy being like the most famous. Um, 
so more pacifistic, humanistic work. And then the other one is like the complete opposite, which is the heroic Japan genre, uh, which is um, really falls in line with kind of the current administration's insistence of endorsing hey world war ii we were we weren't the bad guys at all we were victims the atomic bomb it was bad it's like yeah we know it was bad but but you guys did stuff too uh hello um uh and kind of going back to what we said way back when we talked about how atragon maybe wouldn't have been made today um Weirdly enough, this is a movie that I've seen often in in critiques and reviews say, if you like Atragon, you'd like Lorelei. Now, they're both tokusatsu submarine sci-fi movies, but I kind of feel like if I like Atragon, I probably wouldn't be too inclined to like this. This also goes to say that like we can like a movie with kind of disagreeing with the thesis of it. Um, now, there's... A few things at play here. Um, the first is the the general plot. Um, for Toho, this was a big budget movie, and they wanted, from what I understand at least, they wanted this to be released in quite a few territories, the U.S. included, but they kind of got cold feet and ended up not putting it out here. And I can kind of see why. Um, a couple points about that. The whole plot is about stopping a fictitious third atomic bombing on Japan. Um, first of all, it's operating under the assumption that the, the, the Allies would want to drop a third atomic bomb on Japan. So it, for outsiders, that might kind of rub people the wrong way. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone that dropped those bombs is proud of it. A lot of people were completely ruined by the fact that they were involved in those bombings. Um, and then the, the, the bigger thing is it's kind of... Um, it's repositioning Japan as the good guys when there were so many atrocities. Uh, I mean, Paula... You know, sure, she has cool powers, but they they really drain her. They weaken her, um, and we're we're shown traumatic flashbacks of Nazi experimentation on her and other people. Actually, and, too, yeah, right? and other people, um, and kind of going with the trend of the Jap Japanese kind of uh, whitewashing and kind of sweeping their own atrocities under the rug the, f the fact of the matter is the japanese did that as well and some of the germans who were visiting japan and looking at that were like wow i know we do some messed up stuff but that is worse um so just kind of going into there's a really kind of they position because because paula and she is she is a victim of the these awful things and for for them to to portray, hey, here's a girl who the the Germans did all this horrible experimentation. Isn't that awful? You're not going to bring up the fact that Japan did it all like as well. Like, <laughs> can like can you do that? Have <laughs> <laughs> you? Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's 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 kind of. I, see, and and this is the 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 struggle I have on a more like 
I don't want to say moral basis, but but what makes me uncomfortable about it is that obviously the atomic bombings were terrible, and but Japan was they were right there with Germany and awfulness in World War Two, and so to have a movie where they and you know the atomic bombings were were also the signifier of their defeat so a movie that's saying there what if there was a third one and we stopped it and we were the heroes that bothers me because it's like what if we we were uh the good guys and we rose above and we we, we all came out heroes in the end and it's i know this is a fictitious movie but it's just weird because I think of a movie like um, uh, Django Unchained or, uh, or uh, I'll Do You Better, uh, Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino film, where um, uh, some Jewish spies burned down a movie theater with Hitler in it. We obviously know that's not, how, not what happened in World War II. It's a fantasy of, like, what if the Jews who were these victims actually won? And I feel like this is the same kind of fictitious rewriting what-if events, but you're taking a, a superpower who, who was really rotten in World War II and saying, what if they won instead of lost? Not, not won the war, but what if they did this thing that was a victory and they were all these shining heroes? That's where... That's what bothers me. It would be this is going to be an extreme example, and it's only extreme because it's the easiest thing I can think of. So it it's way more offensive than Lorelei. So I don't want people to take it out. <laughs> I don't want people to take this idea out of context. But what if a German uh, uh, studio made a movie where the Germans win World War Two? How would that make you feel? So that's kind of like the struggle, the internal struggle I have with this movie. Um, Matt, what, what do you, am I making sense? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Because I, I know that, because I know that there are certain portions of, of this movie that you, you have stuck up for. So yeah, like it's, where a, it's a weird I, movie. Well, it's do, a weird movie because you're not wrong, but like it, it, man, this film is sort of compartmentalized because it, it definitely does all the things you just said and you're, you're not wrong on any of that stuff. At the same point, the, the, the commander of the, of the, of the vessel is anti kamikaze attacks. In fact, it, the film tells us early that he actually is relieved of his command, uh, before, like basically he was in the Japanese Navy was relieved of his command because he refused to, to continue with kamikaze attacks and then when he gets command of this to basically like redeem himself, he does not want to carry on kamikaze attacks, even though some of his crew members do. Um, so it's like sort of eviscerating that that common uh, way that the, the Japanese would fight at times by you know killing themselves at any cost. And then later on, um, it also sort of eviscerates that extreme sense of, of nationalism because the the japanese are going to surrender and then you have this like heinous uh commander who is trying to basically trade the lorelei weapon because they're going to debate basically the idea is they're going to give the super weapon to the allies in exchange to drop the bomb on tokyo and then the plan kind of falls apart and that's when um 
the the guy who's kind of like heading up the whole thing where they're going to rebuild the rebuild Japan from the ground up, he actually ends up committing suicide. But the whole thing there is they're they're saying that hey look nationalism is it looks like they're saying nationalism to that extreme is actually wrong. But then you have at the same point and in the same breath they overlook their own atrocities as you pointed out rightfully, and they're also stopping a fictitious third bombing which would have killed you know other hundreds of thousands of people so like it it does this weird thing where like it's saying some of the right things but also saying some of the wrong things and like completely ignoring some of the stuff that they did as well like i, I don't know how to put that you know yeah. like i don't know well, what to again do it's them. it's 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 kind of and and like we were having a discussion with our friend chris and he's right that that's kind of how propaganda works you you make your thesis, but in the middle of it, you pepper in all these things that ev- are agreeable to everybody. And so, yeah, you you have like, oh, this is bad, but oh, this guy's worse. We can agree on that, right? So, you know, <laughs> um, and and it it kind of like revitalizes the kind of uh, going back to the whitewashing, the 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 perception that Japan and the Axis powers were were victims in World War Two. And obviously, they they were victims of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but I don't just mean that. I mean victimized by the Allies, which I don't think that's true. Yeah, and I, w- I would personally agree with you on that. Well, one thing that I thought about, because I, I love, like I said, I, I love World War II. Not love it, but I'm fascinated by it. Um, when I, Band of Brothers is probably one of my all-time favorite series. And before each episode, they would actually do interviews with, with the soldiers who the, the show was based on. And one of the soldiers comes on, and he basically says, um, he, he looks at, he, when he was fighting the Germans, he didn't think of them as being evil or immoral or anything like that, because he looked at them as just being soldiers on the other side that were doing a job, just like he had to do a job. Because he wasn't, he's not, and, and when he's saying that, he's not talking about, the Nazis or the Gestapo or the, or the SS or the people that were putting people in concentration camps. He's talking about your everyday run of the mill soldier that he encountered on the battlefield. And if, if I put this film in that context, that's what the main, the main cast or most of the main cast on the vessel Lorelei appear to me. They appear to be good Japanese soldiers defending their country from, from an attack. Mm -hmm. And so if I view from that perspective, like it doesn't bother me as much. Does, does that make any sense? Yeah, because, for sure. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's fine. That's, and that, that's what, uh, I mean, that's also what a lot of Japanese uh, war movies do. You know, they, they focus on the people. You know, they're carrying out... I mean, and there's been very few, but there's even been movies about the German side where, you know, they follow a Nazi soldier and it's just like, hey, this is just a guy that's part of this military, you know? Yeah, um, and if you, if you look at it from that perspective and then you can see, like, the extreme nationalism where like obviously this guy is doing a bad thing by trying to kill everybody who did who opposes his idea of we're going to be the imperial japan again like that that's a that message is something that that is obviously not a good thing um but at the same point you're right that they like sweep the fact that they literally did the same things the german did and they did it to people and like but they're using the germans as almost like a scapegoat in this particular case yeah like, yeah, I, it's it's very strange that it, like the the movie it's saying something about uh, human experimentation in World War II, but it's blaming the Germans completely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's a it, it's it's so like 
I don't know. And I don't know anything about the author who wrote the, the book that this is based on. But, like, I can just see him as being, like, a guy that's like, you know what? I'm mad that we lost World War II. What if, what if they were actually going to drop a third one and we saved everybody? Like... It's like, did Captain Jinguchi write this? Like, <laughs> you know? No, I mean, I and listen, I, I see that side. And I want to I revisit one thing that you said actually earlier. Like, this does hammer home the idea that I think you can enjoy a movie and a film without agreeing with the message. And I oh, feel yeah. that way about, like, even, like, Shin Godzilla. Like, if there were things in that film that I liked, um, I, I would have been, you know, th- I, there, there just wasn't. <laughs> but if I could have, like, found a... If if I found the Godzilla the the portrayal of Godzilla really interesting or the characters really interesting or or whatever, I would have said, hey, I really hate the message and I think it's actually, um, it it actually hurts the genre and the character. But I really like a lot of the things about the movie. The problem with that film was I disliked almost everything about it. No character arcs, mm-hmm. boring after Godzilla naps, that kind of stuff. With this film, I like the characters. I like the idea behind the plot of them having to to stop an attack on their country. But the message is kind of jacked up. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> right. I think that's the point you have to get to. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like, I I don't lo- love this movie, but I don't hate it. I I, I think it's a decent movie. Um, but, I mean, I'll do you a better example. Like, uh, are you are you a Rambo fan? <laughs> who, who can't? Like, how do you not be a Rambo fan? Like, have you seen the Rambo films? <laughs> yeah, I've seen all of them. Like, First Blood, I think, is a brilliant movie. A uh, great post-Vietnam movie about how messed up war is and what it can do to someone. And I love it. Rambo 2 is a really (laughs) stupid popcorn movie that basically takes a a messed up sympathetic guy and turns him into an action hero and has the complete opposite of what the fantastic first (laughs) film uh, said. But I like it because it's a fun action movie. You know, and I, I can separate those things. Uh, and, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, I'm, I'm, if, if, same thing, I mean, with Shin Godzilla, if there was, if I found more to like in the movie, I could still say, hey, I enjoy this movie, even though I think it's saying some, some messed up stuff. And I enjoy this, I do enjoy Lorelei, even though it is kind of <laughs> doing some <laughs> very disagreeable things. Um... It's, uh, it's just, um, the, the general concept is what bothers me. Kind of glorifying the Japanese exploits of World War II and then sweeping a lot of the bad stuff under the rug so you can make a movie that, again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, where the Japanese audience will leave the theater feeling proud to be Japanese. That's exactly what this movie did, and... It, it it really just hammers home the and, and this movie was a huge hit. Shin Godzilla was a huge hit. Sinking of Japan was a huge hit. And these are all movies that invert the Honda and that's that's not just the fact that they're Toho sci-fi Toku movies with submarines, but thematically these movies can be compared and contrasted where this movie is kind of in inverting what movies like uh Latitude Zero and Atragon we're saying a, the <laughs> I'll just say these Higuchi movies and uh, <laughs> and yeah some of yeah An- that's right yeah and and some of Anno's works also really kind of 
take that message that I'm such a fan of and turn it, they literally turn it upside down and do the opposite. Um, so it's, it's, and I just, and I mean, I know these guys are big enough fans of this stuff that like, when he was, when Higuchi was making Lorelei, try and tell me the, he didn't think about Atragon at all. <laughs> and, they're and, giant sci-fi, I mean, they are, I know that Anno is one of the biggest Ultraman gurus out there, and Higuchi, I mean, like, they, they have a love and a passion for this stuff that, that is just like ours. Yeah, like, I, I mean, know these guys know their shit, and there's no way you're gonna be on the Toho lot with giant miniature submarines and not think about Atragon. It's just, it's, it's, and I mean, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're in the same boat as us, only feeling the opposite. Maybe they love the Honda movies, but maybe they think the message is too liberal or whatever. I don't know. Um, but it's something to think about. But I know these guys thought about these movies when they were making this stuff. They had to. How do you not? You know? It's, 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 inter- it's honestly interesting to me that these people that grew up on these movies that we're talking about turned out these films that really kind of state the opposite in certain ways. And I don't know where to take it or judge it from there. It's just a really odd and interesting thing to me that it even happened. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I think about the stuff that Honda said, and I think about like his movies probably wouldn't get made today if he had the same message. Or like when you know when when uh, Eric and I went to Fandom Fest, um, Nishikawa who designed a ton of the the Heisei monsters and uh, you know super nice guy. I have a I have a couple of his books. Like his his artwork is absolutely incredible. Like he outright he actually got to see an early cut of Shin Godzilla and said that it was the second best Godzilla film ever made. Well, so like look I at mean, a, just, look at Akira Fukube. He yeah. he was a pretty yep. he was a very nationalistic guy and he did the score for Atragon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean and he's he's my favorite composer. <laughs> yeah. So, it's just it's it's one of those things where like uh, to me in the in the world that we live in um and all the all the the stuff that's happening in not just American politics but just the world around like nationalism to me is not a good thing. Um, I think it's one thing to be a patriot for your country and, and to to want good things for your country, but also be able to say, "Hey, we probably did some terrible things in the past." Like, you, can, I mean, the U.S. has a documented history of doing some pretty bad things, and a, that, there's a list that people can find very easily, like experimenting on people with LSD. And, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that the CIA, like CIA's done and stuff like that. So, like, it's not like you can't be a patriot and not criticize your own country. And, and what bothers me about extreme nationalism is like they're afraid to say any of those things or they don't want to, or they just don't want to admit it or they just mm-hmm. pretend it doesn't happen or deny it happened. Oh, the, the rape of Nanking never happened. Or we, we never had prostitutes that we made sleep with our soldiers. Like, yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that, that's the kind of stuff that, that, that people should care about. It'd be like us saying slavery never happened in the States. Like, dude, what, what are you, what are you talking about? Or like Holocaust deniers. Like you, you we're can't, almost as bad with like the, the 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 stuff that we did with the Native Americans, like yeah, like Native Americans, we we it was all like, dude, we we killed them all. I mean, I love Thanksgiving, but I, I understand that you know in schools we're still teaching people that it's marking like the day we became friends with them, and it's like that never <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, what we did was more like akin to what you see, which is ironic, because uh, the Last Samurai, 
<laughs> but like that that scene where like they're just like going through the villages and just killing everyone. Um, I, I just <sighs> listen. You you can love your country and be a patriot for it, but like you don't have to accept all the, the terrible things your country has done. And like no country is innocent of that. Like yeah. you, you're you're naive to think that. And I, the fact is, I mean, this stuff sells, man. These movies they clean up at the box office, and that's what that's what Toho wants. And so, you know, until then, I mean, more whitewashing and more, <laughs> you know, ignoring the the real problems. And, and and like you know, to be fair, I mean, I don't want to feel like we're just criticizing Japan. The, the we we mentioned earlier, the U.S. does this too. Like we're, you know, we make films that are all we we villainize the Russians and. <laughs> Die Hard or Germans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look at Die Hard is one of my favorite films. I mean, like, look at look at Godzilla nineteen eighty five. We made the Russians evil when they weren't. <laughs> so Yeah. Um but I you know, it's just it's one of those things that um it's it's scary to see that a country could be heading back towards something like imperialism or you know, like it's the it's Jap- Japan for the Japanese and only the Japanese. Like that kind of thought is terrifying. That would be like, well, you know, America's for white people or like that, that's that's the same kind of thought. <laughs> well, we're seeing some of that now. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, but I mean, like, it's true. Like, it's the same kind of thought. And you got to like, you have to be able to confront that. And one of the best ways to confront that is actually through film. Um, a couple of <laughs> and a couple of things that uh, to get back to the movie, because I think I don't know. I think we're kind of on the same page there. But a couple of things that don't make much, much sense to me, like, why did the guy kill himself? I, I guess he just gave up on life. I don't, I don't because, because he even says, like, well, they're going to drop the third bomb even though my plan failed. So, like, he could still do what he wanted, technically, couldn't he? Yeah, he just kind of, like, I guess he was leaving it to his other people that were in his uh, little clan. And he's an idiot because why give the ship to Masami anyway? Why didn't he just do it or send like all of his guys to do it to begin with? Especially if you're just going to kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was he doing? Like, that's that's a that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I guess um, he just wanted to have that like dramatic meeting with the with the Japanese cabinet. Like, hey, yeah, uh, you guys are screwed. We're going to get nuked. Uh. So, um. How many delicious scoops of ice cream do you give this out of five? Man, um, for for me, I, on on a really on a good day, my the entertainment value that I got out of this film is like a four, but it's probably more like a three and a half. Okay, I'll do a three on this one. Um, I vehemently disagree and find certain aspects of it appalling, even, but. It's a competently made movie, and it's an entertaining movie with likable characters and uh, great miniatures, but bad CG. Um, so I'm going to just go right in the middle and, and meet everyone halfway and say, I'd give this a three. Uh, entertaining, but uh, wrong also. Um, so none of these movies uh are kaiju centric none of them have godzilla would you recommend these three films to fans if you like science fiction films absolutely uh if you're one of those i'm only here for the monsters 
Maybe not, but then again, you know... If you're one of those guys, you should open your horizons anyway, because there's so much more out there that... What's with those people that, like, won't watch Gamera films? I don't, I don't know. You're, you're, like, you're you're missing out, man. You're missing out on the great joys of, like, Gamera versus uh, Giron, or... I, I just... I don't understand. <clears throat> yeah. But, yeah, I, 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 would, would, I would recommend it. Yeah, I would, I would, re- I would recommend all of them, um to different degrees uh, i definitely think they're all worth someone watching and deciding at least to, atragon so. you gotta watch atragon oh yeah atragon for sure all right well um i guess that wraps up our toho naval sci-fi spectacular um uh check these movies out um some of them i don't think any of these are the easiest to find these days um but they're out there uh, if you they know can where be to found. look. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else you wanna you wanna add in? Uh, now I want ice cream. So I think. Uh, uh, well, we'll see you next time. Peace.